Hi everyone, my name is Johnny McCormick, and you're listening to Spoke. Before I jump into introducing our guest today, I'd be really grateful if you could take 30 to 60 seconds to do a really small favour that actually can prove to be a huge help for the show. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, can you please take the time to rate and review our show? It helps others discover it. Thanks so much. This week on the show, I'm joined by Nico Vanderhorst. He's the owner of Pride and Pinion, a luxury watch boutique. And whilst we talk about watches and their importance in society during our conversation, Nico actually chats a fair amount about his somewhat unconventional journey into becoming a luxury watch dealer. He didn't start out as a well-capitalised business. In fact, he started with a reasonably modest loan of €20,000 after working in several call centre and service jobs over a number of years. Nico now is the very definition of doing what you're passionate about. He describes his days working for some of his previous companies as some of his darkest so far, and starting this watch company gave him hope, inspiration and purpose. I had such a great time recording this episode, I'm excited to share it with you, so let's jump in. Nico, thanks so much for taking the time to join us in the podcast today, so good to have you here. Thank you very much for inviting me. This is very exciting. Very, very exciting. Well, we're super, super excited to have you here. So, Nico, I've already done a little bit of an introduction to you before, but the first question I always like to start out with for our guests is, how do you like to introduce yourself? So what do you normally tell people about you whenever you're meeting them for the first time? It's a funny one because I always like to introduce myself as a Dutch guy in Northern Ireland. So if I really introduce myself, I would say, hello, my name is Nico and... uh, uh, I'm a 32-year-old or becoming 32-year-old Dutch guy in Northern Ireland. And uh, um, I've, I've listened to a few of your podcasts and everyone always talks about work. And I, I'm just the person that says I'm a 32-year-old Dutch guy that loves his dogs and live in the dream. Uh, and that, that, is, that is more my kind of introduction. Love it. So tell me about how a Dutch guy finds himself in Northern Ireland these days. Right. That is an incredible funny story, actually. Um, I moved here seven years ago. I moved here seven years ago on the 21st of August. And this is the cool story, right? Because I had this idea to move from the Netherlands, um, from Amsterdam to uh, Belfast. And uh, I, uh, I told my parents this. And my mom said, it's not happening before your birthday. And my birthday was on the 20th of August. So I, uh, I waited to, waited till I, uh, uh, till my birthday on the 20th and I left on the 21st. Wow. And, uh, it's a really funny thing. I, uh, I really liked ferries. So there was an, uh, was a good way where you can go from a, a port in, in, in the Netherlands called Eimuiden. Uh, towards Newcastle, England, and then cross England to Scotland, Kern Ryan, or how you pronounce that. And uh, so I was able to get two ferries instead of one. So that was really, really cool. So yeah, that's how I arrived here with a with a Volvo V40, completely packed with everything, wow. PlayStation, Mac, uh, iMac, and everything. Yeah, really cool. So why did you why did you come to Belfast then? Why not somewhere else? I um, I wanted to. I've always wanted to travel the world. Right. Um, I always wanted to work in another place than my own. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't really at a great place, uh, in the Netherlands. I, 
um, had a kind of a bit of a business and it failed and I got myself in a certain financial situation where my father needed to save me and um, I needed to pay my father back and I worked for my father's company it was just a small uh, small shop uh, selling photo cameras and um, after about three years I was able to pay my father back and Two months later, I said, listen, I do not want this life and I want to move out of the Netherlands. And I finally want to discover something else. And Belfast was for me just a temporarily kind of thing. And my parents never thought that I would stay longer than like two, three months. But uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm here seven years later still. So really, really cool. And what, what keeps you in Belfast then? Why, why did you not move back after a few months? After about two months, I met a girl and uh, she's the reason why I'm still here. So you stayed for love. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I met a Bambridge girl and, uh, um, yeah, we're still together. So, uh, very, very good. Um, but at a certain point, I needed to find a job. And that's, that's a bit for me. Like I said, it was never really the plan to stay here so long. Um, but now I've, now people just say, you're not a Dutch guy anymore, you're from here. So now I've, I just, I want to settle here. Yeah. So uh, really cool. So why don't you tell people a little bit about what it is that you do nowadays? What do I do? Yeah, I'm I'm very, very fortunate. Nowadays, I... Uh, um, I, I do what I love and watches is what I love. Uh, what, that's one of the things I love the most in life. And I'm very, very fortunate and very, very, um, lucky that I, I, I work with the most amazing watches on the planet. We fix watches, we sell watches, we buy watches. Um, and it's just everything watch related is what we do and what I do on an everyday basis, on a day to day basis. And, um, we have a shop in, in the merchant hotel in Belfast. And yeah, it's, it's an incredible journey so far, I must say. And, um, that is something I have been fascinated about. Watches is something I'm fascinated about. Fascinating or whatever you call that from when I was a very, very young age. And, uh, yeah, that's what I do. I sell watches, isn't it? Great. So I just spent some time over in the shop just before we started recording, met Mike, tried on probably a dozen, a dozen beautiful watches, like absolutely gorgeous gorgeous timepieces. Did you start that business as soon as you arrived into Northern Ireland? Like no, what was, no, what no. was your journey of getting, getting to open, you know, such a beautiful watch boutique in the Merchant Hotel? Right. My journey is, is been uh, a very, very wide journey. I, um, I, I had a call center job. That was my first job in Northern Ireland. I worked for a company here called Concentrix and I was fired after three weeks. Um, simple reason because I was just, I clearly was, I, I am, I'm a very, um, um, how you call this? I'm a very direct person. Opinionated? Uh, yes, very. <laughs> I like to do things the right way. And if someone says differently, then I am directly uh, in a clinch, let's put it that way. And after three weeks, um, they, uh, I wasn't welcome anymore, unfortunately. I uh, needed to find another job, find, found another call center job at, uh, um, what was them called? Market Resource Partners. Okay. Exactly the same story. Yeah. Um, these are more uh, jobs where you're being micromanaged, something I can't cope with, right? That you don't, I, I am very, very hard to deal with that. Now, yeah, I got fired after six months, so I, I actually uh, made it from three weeks to six months, and 
Uh, then I found a job in Dublin at Vodafone where they gave me the freedom to be myself, uh, definitely for the first three years. And I moved up the ranks. Uh, it was still uh, it was still a bit of a dead end sales job, and nothing really with much potential. But at least they gave me the freedom uh, to perform and um, to bring my own ideas on the table. And, and I've been able. Uh, I've worked there for about three years. Yeah. I did. I had amazing people. The most inspiring person I've ever worked with was my first manager. His name was Jonas. It was, it was phenomenal. I'm not in contact with him anymore because I think he hates me because, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, I've always been very, I'm like, I'm a hard person to deal with. So, how do you go from working in Vodafone in a sales job in Dublin to getting into watches like were you interested like, in watches in the background well, watches hobby, watches has always been my thing right so from, from young age from say about 13 years old and i remember my first watch that we bought in an outlet center in Lelystad in the netherlands it's kind of similar to kildare village and it was a seco and it actually really really looked like a day just and oh my god i was proud of that watch i still have it the hand fell off and i still haven't fixed it but um it, it i was very very proud of that and from that moment on um I got a bug. I got a bug about watches. Now, obviously, at that age, you can't afford watches of, of certain certain prices. So, I uh, I started with just collecting cheaper watches, and I got myself a nice collection and, and increased that. And and all of a sudden, the watch became more expensive. And uh, yeah, th- that is a bit my journey within watches. I, I I started to become a bit more influential, but writing about certain brands and doing more research about that. So, no, watches has always been in my life. So, going me going into watches wasn't really surprising to my parents or to my close friends. It, it, they, they knew I, I will go into watches at a certain point in life. Um, and definitely vintage watches, if we look at that. Um, my father, an old-fashioned uh, camera shop, like proper old-fashioned pa- camera shop. Like, I mean, with, with Leica cameras, with, with, with old Hasselblads, with, like, really, really cool. And I, it, it, I've always been fascinated with, with that kind of thing, like the mechanics of a camera, mechanics of a, of a watch. And uh, the funny thing is I can actually develop my own film, like an analog film, and there's not many people that actually can do that, but that's what my father has taught me. Um, so yeah, that, that, that wasn't a strange thing. What was the strange thing was that I never had the balls to make the decision to actually do it. And I think that that is, that has been in like, that has saved my life in every way. Yeah. Okay. So say a little bit more, say a little bit more about that. What was it, Nico, that gave you the confidence to quit your day job and Mm -hmm. go all in on luxury watches? Because again, I think it's probably, a lot of people will already know that it's a very capital intensive industry. So it's yeah. not the sort of thing that you can presumably just start with, you know, no. 200 quid in the bank. How do no. you, how do you get to that point where you're comfortable enough to build that confidence to say, I'm going to invest some money, some time, some effort into doing this? And, uh, yeah, starting, I suppose, one of the finest luxury watch boutiques on the, on the island now. Yeah. I, uh, I think we need to go back to the, to the absolute start. Go for um, it. The reason uh, for that is is because we need to find a reason why I actually started it. Um, after about three years working at Vodafone, I was extremely unhappy. Unhappy with myself. Um, I was about 28. No, I was, I, was, I was going to turn 30. 
Um, and I looked at myself, I reflected myself, and I thought, is this life? I'm employed. I, I only get about 35,000 euros because I worked in, in Dublin and I, I lived in Banbridge. Now, there's, money, is not, money is not the motivation, but I said, is this life? Is this really, really, like, if, if, is this it? I'm turning 30. Uh, you can kind of call that a midlife crisis. I was extremely unhappy and I wasn't really well uh, sitting in a team. The team that I was sitting in, I wasn't really well um, loved in that way. Right. It's because several reasons, either with myself or with other people, I am very, very direct, right? I do not shy away. I've I've always had that, um, but I, I looked at myself and I, I was very, very unhappy with myself. Um, I was able to... To sort to go through that for about a year until I really had a breaking point where I was verging on on depression and you can even call it depression and that was a part that I said to myself I need change and I need it today I need it now and that has been one of the darkest periods in my life but now looking back it's been the best period of my life because it allowed me to really change my life, um, to really push myself and to put myself in a position of no return because that is the most important thing to realize. If you put yourself in a position of no return, you go in yourself in a form of survival mode, as I call that. And that survival mode will allow you to achieve things you thought you never was able, you were never able to achieve. Now, I start, I didn't start the business with the ambition. I'm going to open the biggest and nicest watch boutique on the, on the island of Ireland. No, I wanted happiness i wanted to be happy again right that was the only reason i started i was in a depression and i like a proper depression i i had I, every day i was driving from Bambridge to junction 15 carrick mines on the m50 where that is a good hour and a half drive and that was a hard one to do and it, mentally when you're unhappy when you're unhappy in your job you don't see perspective that is a really, really hard thing to do. And every day was a challenge. And when I got myself on the point, I arrived and I remembered as if it, as if it was yesterday. It was the 12th of August, 2017. It was 2017. Um, yeah, 2017. Yeah. I drove into the office. I was one of the first people in the office. I arrived at about quarter to eight. I um, yeah, the underground car park and um, I parked my car walked into the door, elevator, walked into the door of the office. And the moment I, st this is, I didn't thought about this on the way towards the office, but the moment I stepped foot in the office, I looked around and I knew that that was the last day I was going to walk in there. Wow. What I've done, I walked to my manager that moment, right? My manager was already in, but I, uh, I walked to my new manager, lovely lady. Um, I only knew her for a month and I feel very, very sorry that she needed to get through that. But I said to her, I, uh, I'm not feeling well. I'm leaving. I'm going home now. Do you mind? And she looked at me. I'm like, I, I couldn't be honest to say this is the last day that I'm going to spend in this office ever. Yeah. I walked out. I said it to her. She says, yeah, go. I walked out of the office, drove away and I was free. Wow. feeling in my head I was free and that was for me the moment that I knew that I'm now going to push this forward I'm now not I di didn't make the decision at that point that I was going to do watches no I didn't make that decision that day I made that the day after actually but I knew that because I needed to get myself out of that really dark place into a happy place yeah I knew I needed to do something and that was the first step I took so tell me about what it was like waking up that next 
morning. So your first was, morning that you're describing as freedom, what was right. that like? You lived together with a medical student. Uh, at that time, she was a medical student. She's now a doctor. Uh, very, very proud of her. Um, she's, a, she's a big inspiration for me. I've never seen anyone as hard, working as hard as she did, definitely when she uh, studied, uh, because that was ridiculous, mate. That was ridiculous. Uh, fair play. Uh, I, um, I, wasn't, I wasn't able to be honest. I wasn't able to say, listen, Lauren, I quit my job or I, I left. I wasn't, I was really, really afraid of telling that. And I didn't tell her for about two months. Wow. That is, that is the tricky bit. But when I woke up that morning, I was very, very scared. And I actually, I actually felt worse than the day before because all of a sudden I did this. Now I can fix it. I, I, I left the office. I can fix it, but I don't want to. Shall I? No, please do fix it. Go back to the office. You know, you're, you're finding yourself in a, in a, in a, in a space that, that is very, very confusing. Um, when I did that day, I, I, I woke up and um, I drove to Dundalk. And uh, Dundalk is, of course, close to the, to the border. And I drove to AIB Bank, right? I knew that morning, right, I made a decision, fuck it, I'm not going back. It's not happening. That place doesn't make me happy. I will. This is the darkest place in my life, right? So I, that morning, I already made the decision, right? Watches. What do I love the most? What do I absolutely love the most? Football and watches. Football is a pass. I, I can't, can't do that now. I can't make money with that. Watches I can, right? So what I've done, I went to Dundalk to AIB, Allied Irish banks or something. And I kind of was dishonest to the bank and said I still had a job. And I effectively still had a job, but like I knew that that was not going to be my job like i mean i knew i was going to quit my job and i actually approved my lo- approved for approved me for a loan within 10 minutes of 20,000 euros wow and with the 20,000 euros i started my business do you uh, remember uh, do you remember the first watch that you bought yes absolutely for the new business yeah, what was absolutely it? a bretling Nevitimer, yeah Uh, Is that the first watch you sold as well? Yeah, first watch I sold. Actually, this is really cool, right? Because this was me being very awkward on Instagram, no followers. I started the Instagram account, no followers, taking videos of a watch and look at this watch. It was really awkward. I actually deleted, and I I don't think I should have done it, but deleted a few of these recent kind of things. Uh, But it should have been cool to actually keep, but it was so awkward. If we look at what we do now to how we started and like yeah it gave me it gave me the opportunity to do what we do now but it was really really awkward and you know what the funny thing is i took a picture of that watch and i think that picture is still on the instagram where i took that with a with a fulfill bar and that time uh mr gannon tom gannon who uh, started fulfill uh saw that picture and he loved that watch and he bought that watch yeah wow that was incredible so the that the founder he's not the owner of fulfill anymore um he uh they he's he's bought out the company but uh he bought my first watch yeah so and it's just growing from there no no it was a really rough period um i uh yeah tell me a little bit about that then (laughs) yeah that was actually because this is uh, this is three or four months in right so you need to put put me put yourself in a position where you all of a sudden have a loan of twenty thousand euros right um um you're constantly at home but you didn't tell the person you are with the person you're uh, engaged to the person that is that you live with did you actually quit your job so I needed to, I was constantly making up excuses. No, I'm working from home. No, I'm working from home. Uh, yeah, I'm working from home. So, and I was still in pajamas when she was going to uni, right? So this was really weird. And, and the first two months, mate, 
I bought a Tudor Blagos. I bought a Tudor Black Bay 41, a Tudor uh, uh, Black Bay Heritage of the, uh, it's the 36 millimeter. Time only watch, beautiful watch. And the Bratling Navy timer. And, uh, made, I just made 200 quid on each watch, like something like that. But that was not important. But, um, I had these watches and I was taking videos and I had, I, I had no followers, like, like nothing nearly. So I didn't sell anything. And at a certain point, I bought, I, I spent that full 20,000 euros into watches, right? And I had no income. So, and I do needed to pay the rent and then I needed to pay my installment to the loan. Right, that was a really, really tricky week. And that was the week I actually told my fiance that I quit my job. Um, because I couldn't afford the rent. I need to make a choice. If I pay the rent or I need to pay the installment. And in that week, we sold the Bradling Navy Timer. That week. I told Lauren, uh, that I quit my job. And in that week, I, uh, it, 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 it was just like, I needed to tell her first before I'm allowed to sell a watch. I think it was like karma. Nico, you've done really wrong by not being honest and not being upfront. You need to uh, tell her this. I told her that the day after I sold the breadline, the day after I was able to afford both. I was able to afford and the rent and the first installment. And from that moment, things has changed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, and actually I remember this if it was yesterday, because that was around the 12th of October. And uh, the funny thing is, on the 23rd of October, I first met Chris Suter for the first time. I went into his shop. So, uh, yeah, it's really cool. Chris who's, Suter. Who's Chris Suter for those who don't know? Chris Suter is, is one, of my, one of my close friends, and I wouldn't be here without him. Um, Chris um, is a very inspiring person. He uh, tries to help everyone. He has a uh, clothing shop called uh, Suter Brothers. Um, in Belfast, um, I think it's Upper Arthur Street, um, and he became a personal mentor more for me, but he also became my personal advertisement sign or something because he he always he he always has pushed me forward and said, Nico, I'll tell all our all, all our clients that you're an absolute great guy, but it, that was an incredible story. He, without without Chris Suter, I wouldn't have wouldn't sit here today without a shadow of a doubt. So why don't you say a little bit more about that, Nico, and how maybe the role of mentorship or having someone that can direct, guide, provide advice, that sort of thing, can help someone that's maybe starting a business for the first time. I I, th- I find mentorship a really tricky thing, right? Because mentorship can uh, can either help you or it can can work against you. Um, why can it work against you? It's because people ah I, I think ah can i can be a success if i have a mentor that's absolute balls that doesn't it's absolute bollocks right um chris uh, was a mentor because he knew a lot of people um but i already had the idea he strategically never made a decision for me or right. never guided me through but he always put me forward uh, he helped me right in that way uh mentorship can be a tricky one because you want to be your own uh, unique entrepreneur i think um and i think you mentorship can also hold you back sometimes this is really contradictional to what everyone always says but this is how i feel i've always been very um stubborn in a way um no you can't do that like the amount of people that said that that boutique wouldn't be a success mate nearly 100 percent of the people that really that i ever spoke to yeah yeah so what made you push a I feel like you, you've given us a little bit of insight into your personality. So very stubborn, very direct. Yeah. Um, which is in, in some senses great, right? 
But what what gave you the confidence to push through if everyone's telling you, don't open the boutique, don't open the shop? What what made you decide, you know what, now nah, I'm going to do it? You know what, we need to look then first as a, what is your motivation to start a business, right? So my motivation to start a business was happiness, not money, right? So I, because I, I had a fair enough salary, right, uh, at Vodafone, so fair enough. But my motivation was happiness, right? I just wanted to be happy again. If I make a thousand pounds a month, that would do me, right? That would do me, um, and then I'm happy. You see what I mean? I just wanted to find happiness. So why did I actually make a choice? I said, what do I have to lose? I have money to lose, but I don't give a flying fuck about money. I literally do not care about money. That's why we donate so much as well. Like, that's why we support a lot of charities. Because I just, I don't care about money. I care, and this is something that will be the vocal and the most important point of our business. Our business is based on passion. This is our hobby, not our job. You see what I mean? This is, this is passion. This is, this, this business is grown out of the, out of, out of the absolute we need, want, and, and the urge to do, to do good things and to be happy again. If I wanted to make money, I would have chosen a different industry, right? right? I don't want to be rich. I want to be happy, right? And a lot of people confuse these two things. So um, why did I make the decision to actually do go ahead with it? Because I had nothing to lose. I had money to lose, but I didn't care about money anyway. And today I still don't. Yeah. Well, that's great. This conversation has taken a slightly different turn than I thought of, <laughs> it, which is, I mean, it's awesome. It's, it's really, really good. So if you were to have the benefit of going back and speaking to the Nico of four years ago, five years ago, who's doing the one and a half hour drive to Dublin every day. What would you say to him now? That you're, um, I wasn't a confident guy. I, I was direct, but I wasn't really confident. Um, my directness would, would have covered up my, my confidence a lot. Um, people always say, I, he's confident. And still today he's confident. People, that, that's what people see. But if you really, really go deep to the core of myself, um, you do see that still today there's, there's a lot of, uh, that I'm, there's a lot of moments that I'm just not confident. And I'm working on that every single day. And that's the biggest challenge. So what would I say to myself, um, for like, if I meet myself, um, in four, of, the Nico of four years, what would I say? I would say, Nico, you're capable of doing anything. Like, I mean, you need to chase your dreams. Like, the only thing I regret of what I've done is that I haven't done it sooner. Because I didn't need really much money to start my business. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not like I just needed to have the confidence four years earlier. But, like, I mean, that is that is just, it's, it's not relevant because I can't change it. But I'm damn bloody proud of myself that I've been able to do it. So um, I think I think um, that that darkest period in my life has guided me to where I am today. Uh, without 100%, without that darkest period, without that depression, I wouldn't have been able to push myself because it was really a survival mode. Okay. And um, the interesting thing is where and how we we literally made it from a shop now to one of. Not the only dedicated luxury watch boutique on the island of Ireland, like the biggest collection of watches in on the whole of Ireland. That's just weird. Yeah. That is weird. So that's still with that twenty thousand euros that we've actually had that time. Yeah. 
Still haven't paid the loan back, though. I pay about <laughs> 600 euros a month back still. But, uh, yeah. Do you think, Nico, that this was inevitable? Like that you were always going to end up doing either this or something like this? So you mentioned um, sort of the motivation or the catalyst for you moving to Belfast was you had a business that you started back in the Netherlands. It sounds like that didn't go great the first time. Also, it sounds like your dad was a bit of an entrepreneur. So you've had this sort of influence or connection with working for yourself or being able to cut your own path in the world. Do you think you were always going to end up doing entrepreneurship or doing business in some way? I thought that that would have been. I've never been good at school. I Same story as be, me being employed because I was extremely um, stubborn. I think that there, yeah, I always thought I was going to, right? But I never knew in what. Um, if I look at my family, if I look at my grandfather, my grandfather was a big, big entrepreneur and he's done a lot for the world. He actually has a park named after him, really? a complete park named after him in the Netherlands. And that man was a proper entrepreneur. My father, as much as I love him, as much as I, I, I respect him because he gave me the attitude, hard work, everything. I, I love that man to bits. Um, but he wasn't the big entrepreneur. He was, he just had one shop and wanted to, keep that shop and maintain or, or run the family with that one shop. And he did great. Don't get me wrong. He did great, but he wasn't that great of an entrepreneur in that way. I it can say that because I worked for my father for three years and I wanted to, in, I wanted to innovate. I wanted to do things. And he was always holding, holding me, myself and his business back Therefore, Um So my father wasn't, was more, yeah, keeping the family tradition alive and my father retired, so the business stopped after 77 years. But my grandfather stopped and I, um, last December, and he asked me, Nico, would I like to take over the business? And I said, no, Dad, sell the, sell the fucking thing and enjoy your absolute every... Spend every last penny of it. Enjoy it. This is what I'm going... This is what I'm doing. Watches. And uh, I'm very, very proud of him. And it sounds very negative, what I'm saying, uh, that he's not that of an entrepreneur but it's not negative. It's the reality. Yeah. He, he has a different view. He had a different ambition than myself, I think in that way. So what do you think, what is entrepreneurship to you then? What are you aspiring to, or what do you think it means? For me, I feel that I, I never, I never was able to call myself an entrepreneur until about two months ago where I found the business in a bit of a storm. Um, we didn't sell much, we were investing in a complete new office, new infrastructure, website, the whole shebang, right? Now, that is when you start to become an entrepreneur, when you're actually taking the right decisions to steer the ship that I call Pride and Pinion towards a harbor that is actually quite safe, right? That is when I, uh, when I, for the first time, called myself an entrepreneur. This was a period of about a month um, that we really needed to cut uh, costs, find ways to get to get the job done. And we got the job done. Um, but me as an entrepreneur is nothing if I don't have the right people around me. And I think that's the most important thing. Um, and definitely moving forward, um, we're currently in negotiation to bring a partner on board, not financially, because like I said before, money is not really, money is not my motivation. Entrepreneurship is my motivation. And I know what our potential as a business is. And I know our ambitions. I, I have written the bloody business plan myself. I know what I'm what I'm going to achieve, not what I, what I what I want to achieve, but what I'm going to achieve. Um, so yeah, I need a proper entrepreneur next to me. I am 
a watch guy, right? I love watches so much. I Timekeeping devices in general is what, what I love, right? I'm not an entrepreneur yet, although I said I would feel like an entrepreneur for the first time. But be an entrepreneur as a businessman. As much as I love watches, I want to be and doing watches. I don't want to be that businessman. So if I have a really cold, hard businessman next to me and I can do the watches, we have an unbeatable team and we'll absolutely do what I, uh, what I want to do and uh, where ambition is, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about watches. So I am a watch enthusiast myself. Yeah. Um, what is your most favorite watch? Uh, I think... I think my favorite watch is probably the Royal Oak at the moment. It changes. It changes all the time. To be Why? honest, what, what what does it appeal? What does you? What appeals to you? Do you know what really appeals to me about it at the moment is the engineering. So mm -hmm. just how thin they were able to get that watch, mm -hmm. and probably the design, like history around it. So Gerald Genta, the the sort of the creator of it. Um, yeah, I think just the story around it's beautiful. The thin profile on a watch that contains that movement for mm -hmm. me is just unbelievable. And just, I, I find it aesthetically pleasing. So I think it's a beautiful watch to look at. The first thing I think about having this conversation is Bulgari. Yeah, yeah. Why did you say, Finissimo? yeah, why don't you say Bulgari then? Because that's the most thinnest watch on the on the planet. Yeah, yeah. So I think for me... The reason I veer towards the Adam Piguet is probably the history or the prestige associated with the brand. Yeah. Um, so Bulgari, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a nice watch. I personally don't find it as beautiful in terms mm -hmm. of aesthetics. It's a nice watch, absolutely. It's an engineering feat, but for me, there's no real history associated no, fair with enough, the brand fair enough, in, fair in, the same, in the same way. I think they're doing some really interesting things. And actually, I submitted a question to your recent Instagram. You were doing a Q&A on Instagram. And uh, I was I asked you about the Octo Finissimo. Mm -hmm. Actually, I said, you know, what do you think is going to happen with brands like Bulgari who are trying to push into that world a little bit more? And in some senses, actually, Cartier as well. So maybe these are brands that aren't as associated with the technical side of the mechanical side of watchmaking as much, mm -hmm. but they're still considered, you know, quote unquote, luxury brands. I was just interested to get your perspective on how they were maybe going to impact on the, you know, the, the Holy Trinity. So the Pateks, the Vacheron Constantins, the Adam Piguet's Rolex, how are they going to interface with each other in this sort of new, new world? It's a very, it's, it's, it's actually a very interesting uh, period for watchmakers in general now. Um, definitely because brands of like Bulgari are coming up, designs of indeed Gerald Genta, um, movements is like, it's all about innovation, right? How to be more innovative. I think Patek Philippe has done something not really, really well with, with the advanced research by bringing out a silicone escapement. Reason why they bring out a silicone escapement is very, very clear. It, it's less wear and tear. The service intervals are longer. Stuff like that. Um, do you really want that? Do you really want that as a watch? Mad? Do you really want that? I don't know. Uh, Patek Philippe has always made the right decisions, even with the Aquanaut. When they introduced it, no one liked it. But it was smart casual, became a thing. Yeah. Back in the day, Patek was only formal. Yeah. And now we see it as a gen genius move. Um, Bulgari, I think, um, I think they've... I think they made a home run here. Yeah, I do. I do. And I think Cartier is something we all forget. It's Cartier Santos, 1904, the first wristwatch, the first pi pilot watch, uh, named after Alberto Santos Dumont. 
Um, I think we forget how important Cartier was um, in the watchmaking world, right? Let's put it this way. In the 80s, 90s, their watches, their movements were absolutely horrible. But they're making a comeback. And I think we're going to see a very, very interesting battle uh, between brands like Cartier, like uh, like Bulgari. And let's not forget Chopard because Chopard, I mean, their movements Top notch, mate. So yeah, we're we're good. It's a very interesting period for the traditional watchmakers. Yeah. So I personally, I find it very interesting, right? So for people that are listening to this podcast that maybe don't really care that much about watches mm. or don't have as much of an interest, they're probably thinking, you know, luxury watches. The first thing that comes to mind is going to be Rolex, right? Everyone knows that's within within watch the watchmaking hobby. Can't get a stainless steel Rolex sports watch new. Pretty much anywhere, unless you've spent a complete fortune with yeah. Rolex at the moment. What, so what I'm what I'm interested in is not really talking about why it's hard to get stainless steel Rolexes. What I'm more interested in is why do you think it's hard to get stainless steel Rolexes in the age of the Apple Watch or the 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 sort of you know the new smartwatch movement? So smartwatches have exploded onto the scene, have changed probably or challenged the watchmaking industry. Why do you think traditional watchmaking is still important? nowadays i'm going to contradict you here in in every way you know you know that smart watches um smart watches has helped the watch industry massively right massively people are wearing smart watches now and they will always move forward now let Start at the beginning. Start this again, right? Because smartwatches are so incredibly important because you find smartwatches on wrists of people that would have never wear or worn a watch before. Yeah. So all of a sudden, a lot of people are wearing watches again. And I'll tell you one thing, right? People are wearing Apple watches and they can choose a cheaper version, right? A cheaper watch, a smartwatch. They will, within five years of purchasing that Apple watch, they will look at a mechanical counterpart. I'll tell you now. 80% of the people that wears an Apple Watch will look in five years at a mechanical counterpart. So this could be a tech hoyer. This could be a vintage watch. Because people are so used to wearing a watch or a smart watch or having something on their wrist, it will help the watch industry selling more watches. 100%. So why do you, why do you like wearing mechanical watches? Like Why are they important to you? It's what it tells, what the watch tells me. You see what I mean? More than I, the time. More than the time. I, I rarely have a moment that a watch is really set on time. For me, it, um, it tells a story about, like, just to give you an idea, right? I'm wearing a vintage Rolex Daytona, reference number 665, out of my birth year, 1987. And this watch has been on someone's wrist that has either achieved something, has either given, has traveled the world. This watch has given me inspiration to move forward and to do things, um, because this is a special watch. And this was on the wrist of someone special. For me, it is a connection to the past. My grandfather's watch will remind me of how important that man was. And when I wear that watch, and it's no joke, it's a very, very cheap Seiko, and it's probably worth like 20 quid, but that watch will make, that makes me feel like an absolute million dollar, like uh, no joke. I feel 10 times more com- more confident. As well as that, it's very contradictional. I sell a luxury watch and I wear a Seiko. And I'm like, yeah, mate, it's my grandfather's. I don't need a Rolex then. See what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And but I, I wear watches for myself. And so, what about your personal collection? Do you have a personal collection of watches? I gave up my complete personal collection to 
do have my business. And I recently bought myself a Blue Dial Rolex Skydweller um, as a achievement, as a form of, of a reward of an achievement. Yeah. Because I think what we've what we've done in the business, and for me, it's we, it's me and my team, um, and and I, I wouldn't be here without a good amount of people, um, and and yeah, that was a reward for the hard work uh, that I put in, yeah, and that my team has put in. So that is my first uh, luxury watch. I, I I call this my first. Now I did have a Rolex before, but I needed to give it up. So uh, I uh, I have a uh, two really really old watches that are worth nothing. I have a Timex worth two dollars, uh, but I mean this was my first ever mechanical watch. Sentimental. You know I mean? Sentimental. My father's watch. Um, I have a Rolex Datejust, and that's it. Yeah. So I I really I need I I have no I had no personal assets anymore because I gave up my whole collection. What's your Grail watch. What's the one that you're you would love? Patek Philippe fifty two seventy P Salmon Dial. I am not a leather strap watch fan, but that watch is doing everything for me. Yeah, yeah. What do you like about it? It's just the contrast, the size. The, it's a perpetual calendar, mate. I'm actually surprised that you said that watch. To be honest, yeah. I'm surprised you didn't say something a bit more sporty. Yeah, I'm surprised at that as well. But I've always had a, had a that fifty two seventy. I actually got that sent to me. Uh, um, I, f- I fucking love that watch. Yeah. 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 I, I, let me show you a picture. It's incredible. Um, you hoping to get some in for the shop someday? I uh, No. The reason why is because I know what will happen. <laughs> I will end up on my wrist. You'll buy it. <laughs> no. Uh, it's incredible, mate. I, uh, show you, I'll show you a picture later on, but it's absolutely incredible. It's the Salmon Dial. Um, I'm, for me... Rolex has always been special, yeah, and it will always stay special. I I heard I always when I was a kid I heard Rolex, never heard of Patek Philippe when I was a kid, right? So Rolex always is for me my favorite watch brand. But if there's one watch for the rest of my life, it would indeed be the, indeed be a Patek Philippe. So what would you say to this, or what would you say to someone that's listening to this uh, conversation that we're having, Nico? That's like I just I just don't get it. I don't get why these guys are so interested in watches. Don't get the hype. What would you say to someone like that? Um, call in the shop and we'll have a conversation about history because everyone likes a story, right? When you were a kid, people, your parents would tell you a story. Everyone likes stories and stories are usually based on historical events. And if you don't like stories, you're just a weirdo. <laughs> I mean, honestly, everyone likes stories because every watch has a story. Every watch has a, as a, as a history. Yeah. Like the, Give you an, the GLC Reverso. Yeah. I mean, the story. The Omega Speedmaster. What an incredible story that has. Awesome story. And very relevant around this date. Well. I mean, 50th anniversary, aren't we? Yeah. So if you don't like stories, fair enough. But I, I've always been fascinated. It's one of the things I was good at in school was history. I love history in general. I love stories. I love to fantasize. And for me, um, looking at a specific watch... It doesn't matter if it's vintage or new. But it does matter. But you do have to with a vintage watch more often. I look at it and I see a story. Mm. And that 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 makes me driving going back to, to certain moments in time, I think. Mm. And that attached me as well to special moments. Yeah. So for those who don't know the Speedmaster, Nico mentioned the 50th anniversary. It was the first watch on the moon. Right? Yeah. So very significant watch in the 50th anniversary of that watch being. And a famous 14 seconds, Apollo 11. Yeah. 
Uh, it saved many people's lives. Like I tell you now, we wouldn't be able to uh, we wouldn't be able to fly today if if it wasn't for timekeeping devices. We wouldn't be able to navigate at sea without timekeeping devices, without clocks, without like we wouldn't be able to walk around like normal people without these devices. Like I mean, let's be completely honest. It's been a major and it's a massive impact in our lives. Time in general is a massive impact in our lives. We're all rushed into things. Like yeah. I mean, so that's why it's very, very important for me, and that's why I love it so much. And let them, let them come to the shop, and I'll. Do you get many people calling down to the shop who probably aren't going to be spending a whole heap of money with you, but they're there just for a conversation? So I mentioned yeah. just before. We kicked off this interview. I spent some time in the shop with Mike and had a really fun conversation with him about the history of some of the watches. So yeah. you've got an Ecomex at the moment, took it out, had a quick look at it. He explained some of the meaning of the inscription on the back of it. I mean, just what an awesome story. There's only yeah. four, four of them in the world, something like that, or four, four privately owned in the world. What an incredible story. Do you get many people that are calling down just to have a chat about watches? Yeah, but that's something I encourage. Okay. Because I want to share a story. Like I said in the beginning of, of, of our conversation, this, this business is never based on, like, our prime, primarily subject is not making money. Of course, we need to make money to keep our heads above water, and that's fine. Yeah. But this is, not, this is not a job. This is our hobby. So how fortunate are we that we can actually talk about our hobby? Mm. With, 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 like, that people are interested in our shop, that people take the time to actually go to our shop, right. take, the, take their precious time to come in and step, take a step in our world. I think that is 10 times more valuable than to sell you a watch randomly that walks in in five seconds, just yeah. walks in, walks out. I'd rather have the first thing that people actually take the time to call in to, to take a step in our world. And so for, for anyone that's listening that is in Northern Ireland, please do call down to Pride and Pinion in The Merchant. They've got an absolutely gorgeous shop. And for anyone that's not in Northern Ireland, because we do have a, a fair amount of people that listen that are based in the States and Canada and parts of Asia, um, I'd recommend that they connect with you on Instagram. So it's just Pride and Pinion. Pride, Pride and Pinion. Yep. So yeah, connect, connect with uh, Nico on Instagram at Pride and Pinion. It's an absolutely hilarious, awesome account. <laughs> what, I, what I particularly enjoy about your Instagram account is just the amount of personality you bring to it. So it's not like this stuffy, formal, just you know, clinical photos of watches. You're on there, you're chatting with people. You do a really fun watch show every week that you might want to, that you might want to mention. Um, and yeah, you just engage with loads and loads of people. That's what I really appreciate about it. So for me, for me, I want to be, and I said this the other day, I want to be an added value to anyone's Instagram, right? Let's put it out there. I want to be an added value. That means that I want to, I want to, sh- I not only want to share my own passion, but I want to make sure that people are get, getting inspired with, with what we do. So for me, it's like, how often do you actually see a sales post on our Instagram? It's maybe not enough. From a commercial point of view, it's maybe not enough, but it's not about that. So I really want to share. I want to be an added value, and I want to have show how much fun we actually have because it's that's where why we started this business. The business is based about around happiness and having fun again, and 
that's what we have every single day. So that's great. So we're starting to come in um, for a close here, Nico. What would you say to someone that has no real interest in watches, but is maybe listening to this conversation thinking, oh, it sounds, sounds interesting. Maybe I will call down, maybe I'll follow on Instagram. What would you be recommending to someone who is not willing to spend, you know, thousands of pounds as their first proper watch you know like what's their first mechanical watch what would you be pointing them towards buy a mechanical timex out of the 70s fucking five dollars like i mean get in love with with watches first get in love with timekeeping devices first before you you can't run before you can walk so you need to start at the beginning that's how i started that's how many of my of of, of my colleagues have started as well like some of my colleagues were fortunate enough to that they inherited a rolex or an omega that that was not the case with me. Uh, like I didn't need to inherit anything, but I mean, it started off with Timex for me, and they were they were cool. They're cool watches, mate. They are a hundred percent. Yeah, so that's what I would say. Just jump in and see, jump in. See just how you like it. Buy a Timex. Have a bit of fun. Um, appreciate. Read up a lot. Listen to a lot of YouTube channels. Um, uh, just watch and like. I can't force you to love it. I can't do that. But if you really, really, really want to learn something like that, just go on YouTube. Get yourself. What is a movement? What is a what is a what is a spring? What is a power reserve? Get yourself into that kind of thing, and then you're being intrigued. Because we must not forget that, like I said before, um, we wouldn't be able to function today the way we do today, or fly today without these watches needs to be appreciated if we think about maybe some of the most well-known luxury watch brands things that come to mind rolex mm-hmm. Patek philippe adam Piguet, vacheron constantin maybe cartier breitling if you had to discount those what tutor if you had to discount those watches okay so forget about them what would be the one sort of not very well known or not the most well-known brand that you just absolutely love um in the past, it would be a Dutch company called Christian van der Klauw. Um, this company was sold about six years ago and lost their identity, right? These were um, astromic watches. Incredible, mate. Christian was, for me, one of the best watchmakers I've ever seen in my life. There's also an Irish watchmaker. Very, very, very good. Um, I would love to get in touch with these guys. Um, they make an amazing minute repeater. But if all these big brands were gone... Um, I would end up with François Paul Schoen, uh, without a shadow of a doubt. I am a massive fan. Again, like I said, I would be more sporty type of guy, would wear a bracelet rather than a leather strap. To contradict myself, if there was only one watch on the planet, I would go for a 5270P from Patek Philippe, but I would also end up with a François Paul Schoen. So I, uh, I love FP Schoen. I love it. I think he is one of the most innovative and most influential watchmakers today. And keep in mind, he doesn't have a rich history. Mm. He is not like Rolex. He doesn't have the backing of the innovation of many, many tens and tens of years. He's just an innovative watchmaker. Incredible. What do you think about micro brands? So the sort of the young upstarts. So it seems to be a lot of micro brands coming up again nowadays. Yeah, usually they usually they, they appear and then disappear in about six months, isn't it? Um, I don't really have an opinion about that because I like to have, like, I mean, I, I love anything about watches, right? But if you start watch brands with only the point of making money, just stop doing it there, right? Stop doing it there. 
just like, I mean, uh, the Daniel Wellingtons of today, uh, how many counterparts are there of that watch? I mean, it just doesn't do it for me. Um, unless you're really, really innovative then you're bringing something on the table. If you just want a quartz movement in, that you can buy in China for $4, put a case in for $3, get a strap of $1. Now, total packaging, say, in total cost costs $11, and you want to sell it on Kickstarter for about 120 And because it's Kickstarter, you now can buy it for 80 yeah. No, I, I do not like that. No, sorry. I, 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 love the, I love if people have the ambition to do something like that. Fair enough. I'm not standing in a way. I appreciate entrepreneurship in that way, but it's just not my way for like, I do something innovative. Then we're talking. So I feel like I'm going to know the answer to this question already, but I'm going to ask it. Um, what do you think about homages? So watches that are maybe absolute on? shocking. <laughs> I'm not even allowing you to finish that answer. <laughs> right. I do not like that. Right. Simple reason is I wear a watch for myself and I think everyone should wear a watch for myself. If we look at, for example, homage brands, I mean, they're absolute blatant copy one on one, except the logo. I wear a watch for myself and I do not need a Rolex to tell me that I am doing something well or doing something not well. And I think it's a lack of confidence for a lot of people that they need to wear an homage. And for the brands that make these watches, guys, get your shit in order and start becoming a bit more inspirational and make your own stuff. So where do, where do we draw the line with it, though, Nico? So we've talked a little bit about the Royal Oak, the Adam Piguet Royal Oak, and yeah. the Bulgari Octo Finissimo. Where do we draw the line with something being an homage and something being genuinely okay or being innovative? So even... These, what, what these are completely different watches. Right. With massive innovation with the Bulgari, with the thinnest movement, with a micro-rooter, an incredible, incredible casing, even the titanium one, mate. I don't know if you've ever felt that watch, but no. it li literally feels like 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 silk the inside of the bracelet, mate. That is proper innovation. That movement is so incredibly well done that I'm like, yeah, yeah, you guys understand it. That's not a homage for me. If we look at a watch brand like Parnis or something, I don't know how you pronounce it. They just literally make a blatant copy of a Rolex. Yeah, I mean, where is the whole inspiration? Where is what do you want to bring on the table? Then just like, I mean, you're basically selling a ripoff. You're selling a fake watch, right. but you put your own name on it. Right. So for you, the distinction is, is a brand genuinely bringing something new to the table? Yes. Are they innovating? Design-wise, like, I mean, you have the Tech Hoyer Aqua Racer Pepsi as well. Yeah. Is that a ripoff? No, of course not. Oh, but it does have the same colors. Yeah, but that's not the case. Yeah. If you put the two watches, the uh, a Rolex GMT next to a Barnes GMT or whatever, you have a, you have completely the same watch. Yeah. On the outside, it looks exactly the same. Yeah. So basically, the motivation for the person to wear that is, look, I have a Rolex. From the outside, you see what I mean? I think that's a wrong motivation. Uh, I think it's by far the wrong motivation. As well as that. If you want a really, really nice watch or you want that design of a, of a Rolex, how incredible is the achievement that you're after? 20 years of hard work, you finally get that. The reward is 10 times higher. Stop cutting, cutting short. Stop cutting, how do you call it? Cutting Stop corners. taking shortcuts. Yeah. Just yeah. put yourself and make reward yourself properly. One last question for you that I like to try and ask most of my guests. If you were in a situation and... Touch wood that you're never in this situation where your house is on fire 
all your loved ones, dogs, get out safely. What's the one thing you're going to grab on the way out to make sure that you save it? That's, that's a very easy one, mate. It's my grandfather, Sika. I would add a shout out of that. That watch, I had that watch on my, on my wrist and very, very special, uh, moments in life. Um, that's the, that's the one thing that connects me to a very, very big man, a man that I respect as much, uh, my father as well. Uh, but that man is for me, um, because I can't speak to him anymore. You see what I mean? Um, he was a, like, I'm named after him, like, I'm uh, I'm I'm the third in line called Nico the third, right? So my my grandfather name. Ah, it's a really weird name, but anyway. Um my grandfather was Nico, my father is Nico and, and but like I said, um he has a park named after him in the Netherlands and um that guy, that man is a very inspirational man and um he passed away when I was 9 years and 10 months old exactly to be precise and I have that man has, has changed a lot of things in the Netherlands, has changed and has done a lot for his family. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of that. So that watch is the one thing that, that connects me to him. And that's the watch I've always grabbed. No shadow of a doubt. I don't give a shit about anything else. Uh, Material-wise, material-wise, right? My, of course, my fiance, my dogs and everything that needs to be safe first. But um, if there's one thing that would be that watch, and it's a Seiko, it's a, it's a quartz Seiko, gold-plated. Beautiful. What a lovely answer. So, Nico, we're finishing up. I always like to give my guests the opportunity to say goodbye and give people, um, yeah, give people a way to get in contact with you or to connect with you. So, do you want to share, like, yeah, your 100%. website where you want them to connect with you or your socials, that sort of thing? Appreciate that. Appreciate that very much. Um, you can find us on Instagram, Pride and Pinion. Um, you can find us on Facebook. Facebook is something we need to work on. Um, LinkedIn, personally, Nico Vanderhorst. Right. I'm not going to spell that because I can't bloody spell in English anyway. Uh, I'm, I'm seriously, that's a serious hard one I'll for put me. It, I'll put it in the show. Uh, that, that would be good. Um, and um, check on our website. And if you like watches, just like, I mean, we're just here to have a bit of fun. And and I think we don't take things too serious. You know what? I, want, I always want to take the snobbiness of buying a Patek Philippe here. You have a champagne. Oh, you're going to spend so much money. Or I wanted to take that snobbiness out. So if you're uh, you're up for a bit of crack, call. Just have a look. Uh, have a look on the Instagram. Uh, call in the shop anytime. Um, just have a bit of vibe. Um, Great. That's it. Love it. Thanks so much for taking the time, Nico, and joining us on the show today. Really, really appreciate that. Really, really do.